Let me pray for us, and we're going to dive into our message. Father, thank you so much for this time together that we can gather. We, we love the fact that wherever we're at in our spiritual journey with you, uh, you are, you are going to meet us there. Um, some of us have come in here today with heavy hearts. Some of us have just experienced some loss of some kind. Some of us are really struggling and are confused and are searching. Some of us are, are excited and ready for more. God, wherever we're at in our journey with you, we just thank you that you're a God who cares deeply about us. And you want us to take our next step, whatever that looks like. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well... Whether, uh, whether you guys have been with us over the last couple weeks or not, we have actually been in a series called New. And we just thought it would be appropriate because it's a new year, right? It's a, it's a new opportunity for a new church, a new community. And really, it's also an opportunity for us to have a new you as well. And so for the last couple weeks, we've been diving in and looking at these different ideas of what does it mean to have a new life, the new life that God has ultimately desired for us to have a life far greater and grander than we could possibly imagine that is accessible to us wherever we're at. In addition, last week, we talked as a result of that about having a new purpose, that as a result of this new life that we can have with God, we're actually then created to have a new purpose, and we talked about what that looked like, that ultimately it was to understand that God loves us and to allow his love to flow through us as a result. And so today we're going to be talking about new community and what that looks like and why that's so important. But before we begin, let me ask you guys this question. What were some of your favorite movies from the 80s? What, what were some of your favorite movies from the 80s? For those of you who are alive in the 80s, for those of you who lived through the 80s, what were some of the, the favorite ones for you? Top Gun, Top Gun absolutely. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. What else? I, yeah. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yes. Oh, Stripes. Bill Murray. A classic, absolutely. Caddyshack, Star Wars, right? Breakfast Club, Indiana Jones. Oh, these are epic, right? For some of you guys, you're young people, you're like, what, wait, what are those? Yeah, those are in the classics in the Netflix area. Okay, but there is this one movie that's probably kind of a dark horse movie for the 80s, but it was the movie Stand By Me. Do you guys remember this movie, Stand By Me? Okay, so whatever you think about Stand By Me, if you've seen it or not, I'm not condoning anything that happened in that movie. I'm not saying anything. It was rated R and all that stuff. But all I have to say, when you think of Stand By Me, for those of you who've never seen that movie, it's this, this, this powerful story about these four coming-of-age boys and kind of what they go through on this, this kind of adventure, if you will. And it's, it's kind of sad and, and stuff like that. But it's also really a powerful statement. And, of course, it was inspired by the, the song, I'm sure, right, the title. What's the, how does the song go? Anyone want to start singing this song? Let's sing it. Oh, stand, stand by me. Come on. Come on. I know. I'm not a worship person. Allison, can you come back up here? Okay. Stand by me. Stand by me. Okay, whatever. So, but we think about that song, and why do we love that song? When you think about that song, Stand By Me, for those of you who don't know that song, you should Google it, check it out, look at the lyrics, but you get the gist of it. We're looking for people in life that stand by us. When we go through the highs and the lows of life, we want to know that there are people that are standing right by us. That when we're afraid, when we're confused, when we're discouraged, or when we want to celebrate, 
We want people who stand by us. So when we hear that song, Stand By Me, we love that song, whether we know the song or not, because we all agree from a human standpoint, we need people in our life like that, that stand by us through thick and thin. And I can't help but think about people in my life, I know you've got people in your life that are like that, that have stood by me. And I think about my wedding day, and I think about the guys that I had on my side, and I looked at each and every one of them, and they had an important part of my development up into that point. They had a, an important role to encourage me to become the person that I actually was becoming. They actually literally stood by me at my wedding day to support me and celebrate with me. And so there are times in our life when we want those kind of people by our side. You know, it's, it's when we want to just go out and have fun. These are the people we call. You know, when you want to go celebrate, when somebody graduates or there's a new baby or there's a barbecue or there's a vacation getaway that you're taking, you're thinking, I want to take these people. These are the stand-by-me kind of people I want there. And then when we experience tragedy, when we experience loss, when we experience something disappointing, a job transition, a life transition, a divorce, these are the times where we go, I need you. I need you to stand by me as well. And so one of the things we realize in this life, no matter where we are with God, is we all would agree we want stand-by-me people in our life, right? Absolutely. And one of the things that we realize, though, as we start to look at the scriptures, we start to realize as amazing as that kind of community is, as, as a gift as these individuals really are, there's actually a kind of community that is even better for us and actually much more needed in our day-to-day -day lives than we actually might realize. And so today, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, I am so glad, so glad that you are here because we're going to talk about that. And so turn with me right now to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. If you have a Bible, you can open that up. You can actually open up your phone, and you can download a Bible app and start to follow along that way. In fact, if you're kind of one of those people that likes to do that, we're, we're dabbling around with having our outline on our phones. So if you go to uversion.com or download the, download the Bible app on your phone, you search for events, and you click there and type in Mission Life and you'll find our outline in there right now. How cool is that? All right, we're just, look at how high tech we are, and we're like week three. I mean, we're on it, right? Who knows if it'll work, but that's, that's there for you. All right, but we also have the scriptures in the bulletin and up on the screen. Now, as we're looking at Genesis chapter three, verse six, uh, one of the things I want you to do is I want to give you a little bit of background. Now, whether you believe in the Bible or not, and as weird as what we're about to read might seem, what we're going to start off with is realizing this. As you look at the very beginning of the Bible, God created everything, and he created it good. And the climax of his creation was when he created humanity. This is what the Bible talks about. He, he didn't have to create human beings. He just wanted to because of his overflowing love and desire to do so. And so he creates man, and he puts him in this idyllic setting, setting called the Garden of Eden. It's beautiful. And he says, here's a job for you. You're going to go ahead and rule over all of creation as my co-heir. You get to go ahead and rule over this stuff that I've created, and you get to do it in a way that, that actually reflects my character and my love to the world. 
And in the midst of that, God even recognizes, you know, it isn't good for man to be alone. Genesis 2.19. So he says, I'm going to create a woman. I'm going to create somebody in correspondence with you to partner with you in life. And, and if you're going to love it, it's going to be great. And so here is man, here is woman. Here is Adam, here is Eve. And here we are coming up to Genesis chapter 3. If you were to read the first couple verses of Genesis chapter uh, 3, you would recognize this. That in the midst of this idyllic setting, this serpent, oh yes, it's a serpent, a serpent comes and arrives on the scene and starts to cause Eve to doubt. To doubt about the goodness of God, to doubt upon uh, God's desire for good things for humanity. This serpent starts to kind of plant seeds of doubt into Eve. And how did he do that? Well, one of the things that God said is, he said, guys, you can have everything here. You can eat from all these trees. You can enjoy it. You've got a job. One thing I ask you not to do is to eat from this one tree that has the knowledge of good and evil. I don't want you to eat of that tree. Now, some of you are thinking, why would God do that? Why would God allow that to be even in this beautiful setting? Well, that's a big, great theological conversation for another time, but I will say this. The short answer is God didn't want robots. He wanted humanity to freely love him back. And love cannot be coerced. And so I'm going to give humanity a choice. And so there's the choice. Now the serpent shows up and basically starts to talk to Eve and say, now did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Notice the serpent did not tell the truth right away. God didn't say that. God said, you can eat from anything, just don't eat from this one thing. So in the midst of that, she starts to doubt about God's goodness and his love. In fact, she responds back and she said, well, we actually can eat of these trees, just not this tree, because if we eat that tree, we're going to die as a result of it. And the serpent responds back. I know, sounds weird. For those of you not familiar with the Bible, sounds weird. Hang in there with me. And the serpent responds back, you won't die you're not going to die if you have this. God's just concerned that if you eat of this, you're going to become like him. In other words, that's the kind of God that we have. And so Eve starts to check, check that fruit again and starts to rethink things and notice what she does. Verse 6, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at. Now remember what God had said, don't eat of this, but here in her mind it's starting to shift. Hmm, this is good. And that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Crazy story, right? But this is the beginning of the Bible, and what we hear is a description of the fall of humanity. And right here, notice, God has given them everything they could possibly imagine, save one thing I'm asking you not to do. And Eve doesn't believe and doesn't trust and says, I'm going to eat this, hands it to Adam, he partakes as well. And what happens? Knowledge of rebellion enters the world. Sin fractures humanity's relationship with God, one another, and all of creation. And so here we have the humanity at the very beginning, what happens as a result? They feel naked. They feel ashamed as a result of their rebellion with God. And so they try to cover themselves up as a result of that. Now, God has created everything. Does he see everything? Absolutely. But they still have this tendency to cover up. This is the fall. 
Now notice in the midst of all of this, in this most critical moment of decision-making that Eve is looking at the fruit and checking it out and wondering maybe, ah, this looks really good. What's Adam doing? Nothing. He was there too when God said, don't do this, and yet here he was just looking idly by. Hmm, this is interesting. I wonder how this is going to play out. He doesn't stop her. He doesn't say, wait, Eve, hold on a second. You know what? Are we sure that this is the right decision? I mean, I was there. You know, he created everything for us to go ahead and enjoy. And I mean, look at how generous God is. I mean, he's kind of given us everything. We can eat from everything, just that one thing. Maybe God's more kind and good and gracious, and we should trust him in this. Did he do any of that? No. He just stood by her doing nothing. In fact, he partakes as well. What do we learn from this little interaction here? Well, as you read through the Bible, you realize sin starts to have its impact on everything. Humanity is excluded then from the garden, and they do experience physical death and separation from God. And the biblical story, if you were to continue to read on, is all about God seeking to redeem and restore humanity back in a proper relationship with God. So what does this have to do with community? Because we experience the consequences of this interaction even today in our longing and our desire for community, and yet its brokenness and its limitations of how we experience it today. Let me give you an illustration of how we see this play out. Two stories from my own life. Uh, One, when I was five years old, I was playing with a group of neighborhood kids, and we were playing tag. And at one point, one of the older kids said, let's go play tag on that. Now that, he was pointing to, was a giant 1970-something station wagon. He's like, let's go play tag on the top of that. And being five years old, I'm thinking, that's a great idea. Let's do that. And so we all get on top of this giant boat of a car, and we're playing tag with each other, literally like scurrying across the roof of some neighbor's car. Can you believe this? And, and it's actually it's connected to a trailer. He, he's got a trailer on the back. It's like an empty trailer for a car or something. And, and all of a sudden, we're playing tag. And he starts to try and tag me with this one guy, and I slip off the back. And I land right on the trailer hitch. And I, I, I'm in total pain. I look up, and my arm is all mangled. It's like this giant, like, oh, my goodness, I just broke my wrist. And so, of course, I run home screaming, crying, and I have to go to the hospital, get a cast, all that kind of thing. Haven't you ever found yourself just going with the flow? Haven't you ever found yourself in a community of people where you're just like, I'm just going to go with the flow. I'm just going to run with this. This, uh, this sounds great. This just sounds reasonable. I'll do this, too. Have you ever done that? You're like, no, never. I've never done that. And and it's like you just find yourself, and you realize in those moments, in a snapshot from that little moment when I was a kid, we do this all the time. We find community of people that we we are longing to be accepted and loved and encouraged and, and to be ourselves and to have people that stand by us, and we tend to go with the flow to just kind of do what they do, and we find that the power of that kind of community is limited. So one of the results of what happened in the fall is that the community we experience today, as good as it can be, is limited. Why? Because it's limited based upon human wisdom. And human wisdom will not get us the kind of life that we ultimately long for, as the Bible talks about. And so one of the results we find with community like this is it's just limited. 
It will only get us to as high as the collective human wisdom allows us to experience. You could say this for um, uh, you know, a, a group of professionals that meets together to improve their profession. You know, a community of people that are committed to a cause in our world to do good. Those are all good things. They're not bad things, but they're limited based upon the human wisdom about, around it. But then we also see another consequence of this kind of community is this, because of the fall, is we also experience moments and times where community desperately lets us down where our longing and our desire to be loved and accepted and to have the best experience possible in community ultimately lets us down, where we experience rejection, where we experience a sense of failure. And I, again, I look back to junior high. A lot of sad things happened to me in junior high. And I look back to my life in junior high, and I remember this one time. I was in seventh grade, and I, was, I had the glorious joy of riding my bike to school with a group of friends. And uh, it was not a glorious joy, actually. And, uh, but we would ride our bikes to school. And as I would ride my, bikes, my bike with these guys to school, we were friends and connecting and stuff like that. And then one day out of nowhere, no one shows up at my door to pick me up. And I'm like, I was actually late. So I got to school. I find the guys. I'm like, what happened? And they didn't, they didn't talk to me. They kind of walked over. I'm like, what the heck happened? What is going on? This is so weird. The next day, same thing happened. The following day, one of the guys shows up at my door and goes, Aaron, I'll, I'll ride with you. I'm like, what's going on? They're like, He's like, I don't know. I don't, they just don't want to pick you up anymore. Okay. Well, that's hurtful. Why? I don't know why. Maybe because you like the Dallas Cowboys. I don't know. Um, and so all that to say in junior high, I, I experienced in a very profound moment, rejection. I was no longer accepted. And it was incredibly painful and scarring. And I don't know about you, I'm sure in a room this size, we've experienced rejection as well. We've experienced disappointment with, with people that we thought, I thought you were going to be the stand-by-me people. I thought you were going to be with me in this. And for whatever reason, for whatever circumstance, you didn't measure up, or you didn't say the right things, or you didn't do the right things, and they said enough and walked away. In the midst of all of that, what are we longing for? We're longing for a community where we feel accepted, we feel loved, but also that we're able to walk with a greater sense of life and purpose because we were made for community. We want to have the best life possible, and community is a vital part of that. But human community is limited, and it lets us down. And God sees all this from the very beginning when community was fractured in the garden. And he says, I've got a plan. I have got a plan, and it's to rebuke the lies of the enemy, the lies that you believe about yourself, that our world believes about one another, and I'm going to bring a deliverer, a savior, if you will, that will bring grace and truth and restore that community, the kind of community that you were made for from the very beginning. That's how good of a God we have. God doesn't stand by. He steps in, and notice what he does in John 8, 44. Jesus arrives on the scene, and Jesus shows up, the Son of God, God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, and he is confusing everybody. Who is this guy? And he's running into these religious leaders who think they've got it right. This is how you connect with God. You follow these rules and these laws. You live like us, and Jesus is saying, no, in fact, you're leading people astray. And here's what Jesus says. Notice the echo from Genesis chapter 3. You are of your father, the devil. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he's a liar and the father of lies. Now, the Old Testament never uses the word devil or Satan. The New Testament talks about that. The New Testament writers actually look back at Genesis and they go, that serpent, that serpent figure, that's the enemy of God and God's people. And so what Jesus is saying here is to these religious leaders, you are leading people away from the truth of who God is and how he created us to be in right relationship with him. You are just like your father, the father of lies. What is Jesus saying? I've come to bring truth. I've come to clarify what real community looks like with God the Father and with one another, and I'm going to show you how it's done. In fact, I'm going to make it possible again. And notice what what happens here next after that. And I love this because one of my favorite writers, A.W. Tozer, said, the most important thing about us is what we believe about God. We have to understand the truth of who God is, his character. Why? Because what we believe about God actually affects the way we live our life, right? So if we believe that God is a distant God, he does not care, he is not interested, we're going to live like that. If we think God is out to judge us and get us and point out all things wrong with us, we're going to live like that. And so it's important for us to recognize that Jesus came to bring truth about who God is. His amazing love, his longing to have community with us and to create the community that we long for and desperately need. You know, I think about my daughter, Phoebe, and we've talked a lot about my daughter, Phoebe, recently. Uh, My daughter, Phoebe's three and a half, and she and I have different understandings of what healthy eating looks like. So left up to her own devices, she would eat cookies all day long. That's how she would live, right? And so when I hold back cookies from her and say, you got to eat this other stuff because it's healthy for you. I want you to live. I want you to thrive. She's like, no, Daddy. No, you don't. It's like, yes, I do. No, you don't. She doesn't trust me. I have to help her understand. I have your best interest in mind. I know what you want to have, but here's what you really need. And when it comes to this whole idea of a relationship with God and the community we actually need, what we find here is God is saying, I know what you're going after out in the world, but what you're ultimately longing for is to be restored in a relationship with me and my people. And I'm the only one who can make that happen. I'm the only one that can solve your shame and your sense of guilt and your fear of not being accepted, and the belonging that you're longing for. You're you're groping at all the things in the world. You're trying to manage your image. You're trying to look the part. You're trying to keep all these other things about your life hidden because you're afraid. Why? That people won't accept you if you find out. You have to realize that I am the God who loves you, who created you, who sees all of your brokenness and all of your flaws and all of your sin and still says, I love you. I love you. And I'm going to do everything I can to bring you back to me so you can live with freedom, where you can live unashamed, that you can acknowledge your brokenness and all of your flaws and recognize I have taken care of it through my son Jesus. And you need a community of people that get that as well. And so notice what God does. John 1.14, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. 
That's another reference to Jesus. Jesus came to show us who God was, that God wants to dwell with us. We observe the glory. The glory is the one and the only Son from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. Grace is a churchy word for many of us. We're like, what does grace mean? Unmerited favor. We did nothing to earn it or deserve it. Jesus is coming to demonstrate that. The whole Bible is trying to pull us back into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so if I were to say, here's the main point of this whole message, it's right here, it's in your notes right here, is we want stand-by-me people. That's what we want. We want stand-by-me people in our life. We want to get connected in communities of people that stand by us. That's what we want. We always default to that. I want to have a better life. I'm going to go ahead and be a part of this community, that community, this organization, that association. Those are good things. They're not bad things. But ultimately, they're limited and that they will ultimately let us down. But what we really need in our life is this. The kind of community that God has created us for with him is we need stand up for me people. We need stand up for me people. So going back to Adam and Eve, what did, what did Eve need? She didn't need a stand by me, Adam. She needed a stand up for me, Adam. Stand up for me. You see, this is going to kill us. This is going to go away from God's intention and design. This is actually going to harm us. Who will speak up? I need a stand up for me person. Not somebody that's going to take responsibility for my spiritual walk. That's my own responsibility. But I need people to speak love and truth into my life. Why? Because naturally, I will just go my own way. I will just look around and go, that, that looks good to me. Like my daughter looks at cookies for dinner. That looks good to me. But when we are left to ourselves, we will choose a life that ultimately is not life. We need stand up for me people. And so what is God's plan? Look at what Jesus does. Jesus is with his disciples and he's with Peter, the apostle Peter, and God bless Peter. Can we all identify with the apostle Peter? For those of you who don't know Peter, he was a mess. He was a boisterous mess. And he was following Jesus to the best of his ability. And he was making all kinds of mistakes, just like us. <laughs> and in the midst of it, he gets one right. He has this moment where he gets it right, and Jesus affirms him. He basically recognizes, Jesus, you're the, you're the Messiah. You're the deliverer. You're the one sent from God. You, you, you are God in the flesh. I don't know what all that means, but you're, you're the Messiah. And Jesus affirms him. And he says this, And I also say to you that you are Peter. In other words, rock from the original language. And on this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. What's Jesus saying? This is the first time church is mentioned in the Gospels, by the way. But Jesus has a plan for a community of people, a new community, placing their faith in Jesus as Messiah and Lord that will now be a part of God's family and live out his grace and truth in the world. The church is to be the stand up for me kind of people. It is the church community that are to walk alongside one another, filled with the truth of who Christ is, 
and extending grace towards one another so that we wouldn't walk in fear, that we wouldn't live in a sense of shame, that we would be honest about our brokenness, honest about where we are at in our journey with God, the questions, the doubts, the struggles, and we would not be condemned. We would be loved. We would not fear. We would walk with courage because of the community. That's the community that God has always intended for us. That's what he wants for us. He wants us to live with a greater sense of freedom. And for so many of us, I know for me, there have been moments and times in my life I have joined communities of people where I thought they'll be the answer. I'll finally have the life I want because I'm around these people. They're going to help me get where I want to go, to have the image I want to have. And the problem is, time after time after time again, I'm still trying to hide and keep people away from the things that I'm ashamed of. I keep trying to manage my image so that other people will accept me and like me and I'll feel loved. And in the midst of it all, what's God doing? Aaron, what are you doing? I love you. You, you don't earn that love. It's already here for you. I, I sent my son Jesus to die for you, to demonstrate my love for you. You just need to have faith in me. Place your faith in me. Trust in me. I know what's going on in your life right now. It's kind of crazy and you're feeling this way and that way, but you trust in me. And what do we do to numb ourselves when we can't find this kind of community? We will run and chase after all kinds of unhealthiness, right? We will chase after unhealthy relationships, people that hurt us. Why? Because we're so desperately longing to be accepted and loved. We'll, we'll, we'll do all kinds of behavior because we're trying to find those relationships that will ultimately satisfy our deepest longings and help us feel accepted and loved. And we will do all kinds of damage in the journey, in the process. I've done that, you've done it, we've all done that. And God is saying, I want you to live with freedom. I want you to live with life and life abundant. This is what I have for you. And it's a new community of people that stand up for you. They don't just stand by you, they stand up for you. Shameless CrossFit illustration. I'm so sorry. I know. Some of you are like, CrossFit? Oh, geez. Here we go again. Here's the deal. You, you don't need to like CrossFit. That's fine. But what is CrossFit? It's a, it's a workout philosophy. I, I belong to a gym nearby. And here's what I love about CrossFit. And it really is a good illustration of what this is talking about. Is what makes CrossFit beneficial or unique to just going to a gym and working out is you actually work out in small groups. You sign up for a class. You go to a class time. You have to be there at the right time and get going in the class. And you get exposed to all these exercises that you're totally like are foreign to you. Like, well, the first time I joined CrossFit, we had to do a handstand push-up. I'm like, I have never even done a handstand. What are you talking about? And so one of the things that we often think is, to join CrossFit, you have to be like an elite athlete to even do it. No, you actually just start where you're at. So they help you progress wherever you're at. Okay, you can't do a handstand, that's great. Can you start here? Can you start there? Where can you start? Let's start here. Can you put your hands on the floor? I can. I can put my hands on the floor. Start there. That's great. Just start there. Just start there. Just go like that. Great, great, great. But they will work with you wherever you're at. And then everyone's doing the same workout, but you're doing it to where you are at. So you might have somebody who's doing a lot more weight than you and a lot faster than you. That's fine. You're doing your weight 
where you're at at your fitness level. What's the point? You're growing right where you're at. And what also happens is this. You're in a small group, so there's other people that are with you going through the suffering with you. And you start to build a relationship like, hey, great job. Hey, way to go. Hey, nice job. And you're like, you're, you're starting to kind of encourage each other. You start showing up at the same time. You see each other again. You start to get to know each other. You keep challenging each other. And there's a little competition in there. All right? There's a little competition that happens, right? And so you're kind of trying to work at what's happening? The community and the way it's set up is designed to help you take your next step to become the you you've always wanted to be. But you didn't think it was possible. And so how did that happen? By you choosing to submit yourself to the process. You, no one can do it for you. No one can work out for you, right? It's like, I would love to subcontract out that workout. <laughs> but you can't. If you're going to benefit from it, you actually have to do the work. But you show up and stuff starts happening. And you, over time, you don't see it right away. But after a while, somebody sees you after a while, they're like, whoa, hey. And I will never forget when I started working out again after a, a couple years of being off a little bit, and I was like going to, t I told the gym owner, hey man, I'm getting some compliments. You know, people are saying like, and I was trying to go, hey, good job. And then he looked at me and said, yeah, when guys your age start working out again, um, <laughs> wait, what? What did, what did you just say to me? But one of the beautiful things that we see from this illustration is really what the church is designed to do. The church is to be the place where we meet people where they're at, not where we want them to be, where they're at, and we love them and encourage them with God's truth and love to take their next step. But we must surrender to the process. And so what kind of community does this look like? How do we actually, um, how do we actually model and embody this kind of community? What does this new community look like? A new community standing for you looks like this. It's in your notes. The first is it embodies grace and truth. The new community that you were designed for to be restored and back into relationship with God and one another actually is a community that embodies grace and truth, unmerited favor and God's truth. Colossians 3 verse 12 says this, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Now, why does Paul, the Apostle Paul, say that? Because it doesn't happen naturally. Bearing with one another? Ugh, right? It's like... Oh my gosh, it's hard work. It's hard work. Embodying grace and truth is hard work. What's the natural response? Kick them out. They don't measure up. Oh, they're not acting the way I want them to act. They're not, they don't know all the things I know. Kick them out. They're not welcome. And unfortunately, you know, let's just be honest. Some of us, it's a miracle that you're even here because we've experienced some of that even in the church where the church has not been grace and truth, where the church has not walked alongside us in our doubts and our questions and our struggles. In fact, the church has been condemning. How on earth 
are people supposed to get real and transparent if they can't be real and transparent in a context of grace and truth? That's the only way we're going to grow, right? And this is what Paul's saying to us. He's saying, it's going to take work, but it's worth it. Because as we all engage in this, wherever we're at, and we make mistakes all the time, we're messy. You know, we're figuring it out. We've all got our things that we're working through. God starts to transform us together. As I'm practicing grace and truth imperfectly, as you're practicing grace and truth imperfectly, Aaron, but I don't know the Bible. That's okay. That's why we got to know God's word so that we know the truth to help each other take our next step. Because what we don't need in our life is more people telling us what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. We don't need more stand by me people. We need more people that are stand up for me people. I love you so much. I love you so much. I see what's happening in your marriage and I'm praying for you. Is there anything I could do to help support you? I love you so much. I've noticed this in your life. Can I talk to you about it? And these are hard conversations. And we're like, oh, do I really want to be a part of that whole thing? The goal is not to nag each other. The goal is to encourage each other, which is the second thing we look for in this new community, is to encourage each other. It encourages life change. We want a new community that encourages life change. Hebrews 10, 24 and following. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. That word provoke actually has a sense of irritating. That, that provoke word, it's almost like a prod. Hey, love and good works, all right? That's what we're about. Why do we need that? Because we naturally don't do that. We naturally think, how can I serve myself right now? Last night, I came home, I was exhausted and tired, I ate a whole pint of Ben and Jerry's Half-Baked. <laughs> I am all about comfort and me. I mean, that's just, I naturally default there, right? What is, what is the writer of Hebrews saying? He's saying we need to encourage each other towards life change. Verse 25, notice this. Not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching. Notice what he says there. We need to be provoked to love and good works. Don't neglect meeting together regularly. Because what do we want to do? Man, it's so easy in the busyness of our world to make meeting together a low priority. It's overcast out. There's, you know, there's, you know, there's, there's rain falling. You know, I, I'm just going to stay home. What do we need to experience the kind of life we need? We need to step in to meeting together regularly. Why? Because it helps us become all that we long to be. It doesn't happen on its own. It doesn't happen if we go once in a great while. It happens as we consistently lean forward in the midst of all of life's adversities and busyness to make it a priority. I know it's a challenge, but it's worth it to love and good works. At Mariner's Mission Life, we are all about life at its best, but life at its best comes at a huge cost. The cost is comfort. And so if you are looking for comfort, this might not be your place. We are going to love one another. We are going to extend grace towards each other. 
But the cost is our comfort. It's hard work. And it's constantly needing to be put in front of us. And so one of the things that we're going to be doing here is we're going to be launching these connect groups. And a lot of us are going to be like, oh, that's a great idea. I want to encourage you to show up and go, we can make it to that one. We can try out that one and just start leaning in and go, God, here's where I'm at on my journey with you. Maybe some of you don't even believe in God. right now. That's great. This is a safe place to start exploring that. I'm going to try. I'm going to check it out. Why? Because God loves you so much. He loves you so much. He doesn't want to waste your life on anything else but him and what he has for you. And it's to do it together in community. Who in your life are you surrounding yourself with? Are you surrounding yourself with stand-by-me people? Or are you surrounding yourself up with stand-up-for-me people? God wants you to have the people in your life that stand up for you, that encourage you, that embody grace and truth, so that you will have the best life now, wherever you're at. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And as we respond in worship, I want you to really consider making this church your home and, and submitting to the process of being a part of a church family and saying, I don't have it all figured out, but I'm going to go ahead and be a part of this family. I'm going to go to these connect groups. I might even hate it, but I'm going to check it out. Why? Because God just might actually do some things in your life and through your life as a result of you connecting in community. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for your grace and your truth that you embodied through Jesus Christ. We thank you so much, God, that you didn't just stand by watching us grope around in darkness, longing for acceptance and forgiveness and life, you stepped into the darkness and you said, I want to bring them to me. I want them to walk in truth and life with me and a community of other people that are going to love one another imperfectly, messily, but all because of me. Would you help us, Lord, take our next step in that journey of community? We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.